Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of How I Built It Today. My guest is Mike McDermott of FreshBooks. I am so excited to talk to Mike because I have been using FreshBooks since 2008, 2009, something like that. Uh, Most of my adult freelance career uh, outside of high school where I just kind of used Excel. And after a a small journey away from FreshBooks to use QuickBooks Online in 2018, I, like the prodigal son, came back to FreshBooks, missing what I once had. So I'm very excited to talk to Mike today about how he built up a company that I have been using for a third of my life, which is crazy. Uh, He offers, of course, fantastic advice on how he built the company and how he is growing at a good pace with his customers, uh, not trying to grow too fast or anything like that. And uh, I, I, I just think that this is a fantastic conversation, uh, no matter what stage of business you're at, because Mike has seen a lot of it at this point. Uh, so uh, I will get to the interview in a minute. But first, of course, we need to thank our sponsors. This season is brought to you by Plesk. Do you spend too much time doing server admin work and not enough time building websites? Plesk helps you manage servers, websites, and customers in one dashboard, helping you do those tasks up to 10 times faster than manually coding everything. As someone who just spent a bunch of time finding the right tools and automations to save myself time, I can tell you that Plesk is invaluable. And you can try Plesk for free today at plesk.com slash build. That's P-L-E-S-K dot com slash build. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Castos. Castos is a podcast hosting platform built specifically for WordPress. Their seriously simple podcasting plugin lets you manage all of your episodes and podcast RSS feed right from your WordPress site, but have your files hosted on a dedicated media hosting platform. I really love how the Castos team takes a common sense approach to their pricing too. You can create as many episodes and podcasts as you want. You don't have to worry about how much storage you're using or silly bandwidth restrictions. And if you're like me and already have a ton of episodes from an old host, they've got you covered there too. Castos will import all of your podcast content into their platform completely free of charge. It is literally one click of a button. The Castos team has put together a really special opportunity for listeners of this show. They're giving away their most popular package, the YouTube republishing tier, where they automatically convert your audio files into a video format and publish them right to YouTube, completely free for one listener. For a chance to win, tweet at me, at jcasabona, and at castoshq, and tell us why you think you should win this free year of Castos hosting. On February 1st, 2019, they'll pick one winner to get this $340 package completely for free. Thanks so much to the Castos team for sponsoring today's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Mike McDermott, founder uh, founder and CEO of FreshBooks. Mike, how are you today? I'm well, thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I was saying in the pre-show that I uh, I am a big fan of FreshBooks. I used you guys all the way back 
in like 2008 or 2009 or something like that. So uh, I'm excited to uh, hear your story. So uh, why don't we start off with uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah. So, so Mike McDermott, co-founder and CEO of FreshBooks. Um, what we are is um, ridiculously easy to use invoicing and accounting software. Uh, what we, uh, you know, we've 20 million people have used the software since we started. Um, what makes us different is we, we only build for folks who invoice their clients and we solve a whole bunch of billing problems in there. Um, uh, billing and accounting problems, frankly. So it's available desktop and cloud. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you invoice, you need fresh books. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, uh, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll admit this to you on the air, but I used FreshBooks from, like I said, like 2008 or something up until uh, the beginning of this year. And I was like, I need something that can handle products because uh, I'm moving mostly into the products business. And so I moved to a competitor. And boy, was that a mistake. I'm moving back to you guys at the beginning of next year, like the next fiscal year. I'm just like, what a, uh, like you said, it's ridiculously easy to use. And moving to your competitor, I saw just how how much easier FreshBooks is to use than what else is out there. So, uh, I've I've seen the error of my ways, and I'm moving back. I appreciate your software. <laughs> I, I am sorry for your trouble. I'm I'm grateful for your uh, you know your support. And yeah, we've actually done a lot in the last year that I think you'll quite enjoy when you you come back. So uh, we're we're waiting for you. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. So, uh, so this is fantastic. You have ridiculously easy invoicing software. We were talking a little bit in the pre-show, uh, and so kind of we're going to talk about your accidental journey, right? Why is this? Why is this called an accidental journey? Well, uh, you know, the way we got started was I was running a small design agency, helping small businesses build their websites and do some internet marketing and logo design, all kinds of things, and uh, billing my clients using Word and Excel when I accidentally saved over an invoice and you know I got super frustrated and I'd started building small uh, web applications for my clients and figured maybe maybe I should do that for myself so built a simple simple thing and and that became what is now freshbooks wow that's that's fantastic and we we talk about this a lot on the show uh, for longtime listeners it's I feel a lot of founders were solving a problem scratching an itch that they had. And then it turns out that other people had this same problem. So, uh, so you were using Word and Excel. Um, what, and, and you decided to build this for yourself. Did you do any research into like the feature set or what was out there? Uh, can you give us a time frame? We're talking like 2006 or so, right? Yeah, that's, that's about right for time zone. So a little over a decade ago. And um, in terms of research, we took a very unassuming approach, I guess. So I built the initial thing for you know myself, and then we did conduct structured research, calling people up, uh, even when we were in the basement. So I, I had a, a surveys take people through, like you know, why did you start looking for us? You know, what would you call this thing? Because we didn't even know what to call it at that point. And then you know, if you had to describe it to someone else, how would you do that? So. And then what else would you like? That kind of thing. What other pains can you can we help you solve? So through a lot of customer service and through a lot of research, we sort of fleshed out what the, the product should be over time and how to improve the offering we already had. Gotcha. That's great. And so so when you built this for yourself, were you immediately like, this is something that I could charge for? Or, or like, what was the time between you built it and started using it and then you realized that this was a product that you could release? 
So about eight months after launch, about two years since we started it, um, we had like 10 paying customers. So we started out, I I think we had a business model applied to it, but I I wouldn't say we had things like pricing and packaging correct, right? So the way we structured our our packages basically meant people, a lot of people could use it for free. I I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, So that was, it worked out well, but, but um, you know, the, you know, we were basically trying to figure out what is the product, what features are necessary, where do people see value and what do they want to pay for? All those things were, you know, we were kind of groping our way through the, the darkness, trying to uh, figure out how to <laughs> how to find a sustainable path forward. Gotcha. Yeah. And and um, let's see, again, just talking about uh, kind of my personal relationship with FreshBooks, I think, like I said, I think I got on it around 2008, 2009, more likely 2009. My friend told me about it. Uh, and I think she had an affiliate link. Did you have like an affiliate program at that time to help you grow? Yeah, well, yeah. So we, we would, it's interesting. It was, it, we had a referral program where people get links inside their own accounts. Yes. And so it worked a lot like an affiliate program where, yeah, you could share a link with somebody and, and, and that would be uh, uh, effectively short answer. Yes. Nice. And uh, so you, Mostly conducted interviews, customer service. You said after two years, you had 10 paying customers. You have like 10 million plus now. Uh, I'm just curious to to learn kind of what the jump was. You had 10 paying customers. What what would you say is the moment everything clicked for you and you started to grow? Yeah, you know, and uh, I guess I, I get that question a lot. Uh, the simple answer is... I, I'm still looking for it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think success is doing like a million little things right while nobody's looking. And then all of a sudden it kind of, uh, you know, turns into a thing. Maybe there's these occasions where there's this major turning point, but I'd say we just kept going. Like the biggest thing like we did was we just kept going. We kept trying to improve. We kept trying to get to know our customer better and serve them better. And, you know, over time, yeah, there'd be like, oh, we've got a, a new, uh, you know, we worked on our pricing and packaging or, uh, we added a feature, but you know it's even it's hard to really see major changes in the curve even when those events happened, right? So it's it's really about the direction and the continued progress, and you know trying to get better all the time. That was our story, at least. I'm sure other people have like this blinding moment and it, it all changes direction, but that wasn't us. Yeah, no, I, and that makes perfect sense. People, people in the podcasting space, especially. I started off a lot in the WordPress space here. They're like, how did you grow your show? And how do you, you know, how do you get so many downloads a month? And I'm like, I don't know the, the one thing I did to make that happen. Um, it was just kind of consistency. And, and, and like you said, just, you know, keep going with it and keep working with it. Yeah. And then sometimes if you're, if you're putting things out there, at least in a consumer product like ours, or maybe your show, like I, I can think of times when like people would point a link to us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the folks at 37 signals, like pointed a link to how we handled like, a challenge that we had that they liked. And, and there was like, Oh, all of a sudden all this traffic comes over and more people learn about you. So, so those kinds of things do happen, but you know, you know, a hundred of those things happened. Right. So it's no, it's no one, one thing. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And that's really interesting. Right. I think that's, I think that's um, good advice or maybe encouraging words for people who are starting a product and, and they're not seeing the out of control overnight growth that you hear about, right? Uh, back in season one, I talked about how, or we talked about the the Olympics going on. My guest and I talked about how uh, you see the gold medalist at the Olympics, but you don't see the years and years of practice that they put 
before that to get to that point. Or, or the three Olympic Games where they didn't even medal, right? Right, uh, you know, right, so yeah. There, there are, uh, yeah, I think this is a terrible thing that's almost happened with the media and these companies. Like, there are the odd company, you know, like, who've done it the first time, but a lot of the really big successes and most of the companies that happen really, really fast are people who are repeat entrepreneurs, right? So, mm. you know, if I started all over again, could I do it better, faster, cheaper? Maybe, uh, like almost certainly I'd either fail faster or I'd, I'd, I'd you know, make something as bigger, bigger, faster, but, but you know, uh, that would have been based on all this experience I've been getting doing this. Yeah. And, and that makes perfect sense, right? Uh, you know, my first, again, just, my first podcast was not great. I learned a lot of lessons and I launched this one and, and uh, I was able to apply those lessons much like um, you are able to kind of apply what you've learned over the last 10 or so years, which is fantastic. And that's, I, again, I think that's what people need to hear because they think, I think, I still think that sometimes I'm going to launch a thing and it's going to be a huge success and that's going to be my, my boatload of cash that I, I know I need or deserve or whatever. Uh, so you said that uh, before we get to the title question, I do want to ask one more uh, about kind of the research and, and kind of building up um, FreshBooks. You said that you were running a design agency and then you launched FreshBooks. Um, at what point did you decide that this was the thing that you wanted to focus on full time? Or did you basically say, like, I'm not, I'm not going to do client work anymore. I'm just going to focus completely on this accounting invoicing software. Pretty quickly, I was excited about the the product and, and got about 80% of my time there. But it was years for that last 20%. And I had some employees in that business, so I couldn't abandon them. And what I found was if I spent 20% of my time doing the other thing, I could make enough money for them and me so that I could focus on this other thing. So there's pragmatic reasons. But yeah, then there eventually after probably two and a bit years started firing my clients and trying to, which meant trying to find them good homes, uh, mm -hmm. like somebody else who could take good care of them. Uh, but that was, you know, it was a, it was a progress. It's kind of, I mean, that's the one side that's, I guess, nice about a client service business is, you know, you can kind of wind things down gracefully over a period of time, if you like. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account. You only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. For anybody who's trying to move from client work to a product, um, do you think that that's maybe the, the best piece of advice you could give? Or is there some, you know, is there some other thing you took away from that experience? Well, I think I j just know that it's hard and the learning curve is really steep. Mm -hmm. uh, they're very different kinds of businesses and business models and things that make them go. 
I think, you know, client service is a great way, you know, if, you, if you've built a successful client service business, you know, it probably means you have great customer empathy. You know, you, you understand being able to deliver uh, and focus and execute, you know, organizing resources and time. And all. You need all that stuff to start a product company. But the thing about a product company is the way you market is different. The way you, uh, you know, build the product is different. The way you, like everything about it is is different. And so I think just recognizing <coughs> that it, you've, you're kind of carrying two, like they're, they're just not the same and being prepared for that learning curve and like, oh, I need to unlearn a bunch of stuff here because it's just not the same game anymore. Yeah, I, I wish that we had this conversation a year ago because over the last year I've learned that lesson. Though I don't know if I would appreciate that advice as much as now that I'm on the other side of it, right? I, I, I say I, I may, I'm able to sell a $5,000 or $10,000 website to one person, but I can't convince like 50 people to buy my $100 course uh, because it is very different. And so uh, that is, for anybody who's looking, that's just fantastic advice. Um, Awesome. Thank you for that. And uh, so now I would love to get into the title question. And this is very exciting because um, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of people that I've been talking to lately are the visionaries for the product. Uh, and then they hire a development team. But in your case, you are the founder and you also built the product. So um, how did you how did you build version one? And then when did you know, I mean, do you still do hands-on code or when did you know it was time to, to start letting go of that? Well, I, I, um, uh, I think the first thing I should do is come clean and say, uh, th that makes me sound like I contributed more uh, to the product than I, I probably did in the end. And so I did build the first version. I built a prototype to, to build my clients. But it was pretty soon after that, like a couple months, that I met my co-founder and he, you know, has doctorate in computer science and he started building things out. And so I then went to more of like a design uh, role. So product design, product management, and uh, and then focused on uh, also like marketing and trying to get the business, you know, operational and organized, finding customers, all that stuff. So uh, so there was a division there. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's and I think that's probably a little more in line with what you're used to hearing that visionary that's more about what the product is, who the customer is, connecting those things to build the right stuff. That that is ultimately the role I played. And so, sorry, the, with that clarified that the question uh, was 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 what? How did you build it? Whew. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, with uh, with great customer empathy over a long period of time. Uh, that's uh, those are some of the the key ingredients. So, so like, I, I don't know how technical do you do. You want to go like when there's so many ways to answer that question. Is it like? You know, the awareness of your product in the market? Is it trying to figure out what to build? Is it, you know, these are the technologies we chose to build on? Like, how, how would you, and sorry to, uh, you know, no, sort of break it down, but it's, that's a big question to me. <laughs> I don't know how to box it into something that I can answer. Absolutely. And generally the answer I'll, I'll give, because I've gotten this question before, is whatever you're most comfortable with answering. But, but I am super curious with the prototype, what technologies specifically did you use? And then as you grew, whatever you're most comfortable answering there, like whatever you kind of touched the most as, as fresh books became fresh books. So, so my role in growing it up. So, so I think, um, you know, for whatever it's worth lamp stack, 
right, at the start. Uh, Ruby on Rails didn't exist, mm-hmm. right? So it was actually pre-2006 we got started. So we were building yeah. our own frameworks to do these things. And then by the yeah. time that stuff came out, we were pretty committed uh, already. So so LampStack, like I think it was like MySQL. I think we just they just kind of came out with the version 3 <laughs> to yeah. go back there. Like, <laughs> Anyways, uh, so uh, with that um, – you know, my, my role again became uh, product management, v- voice of the customer, and also, you know, marketing. And also we started once we had a website up and we we, we, we generated a lot of traffic through like SEO and online stuff. And, and we still do. And uh, that was kind of my responsibility as well. But then as soon as we had people coming, then we started having people who want to talk to us on the phone. So I, I did some of that, did some customer service there and and learned about our customers, asked them how they heard about us. So constantly asking, you know, similar questions like, oh, you know, how did you hear about us? You know, what could be improved? You know, all that kind of thing to keep just, you know, furthering my understanding of like, how do we improve? How do we win? How do we go further? And then bringing that back to the rest of the team, like, here's what we need to build. You know, I was pretty prescriptive about like, this is how I'd like it to be built as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are always fun. And we had good, healthy uh, discussions about that stuff over the years. Gotcha. Now, this is really interesting to me. It's something that I've been hearing more and more lately. And I don't know if it's just because I've noticed it more or because uh, it's becoming more important advice. But having conversations with customers on the phone is something that I've been hearing a lot more lately. Maybe it's that, you know, uh, People around my age or younger have an aversion to phone calls. They would rather just do things with email. But it sounds like phone phone conversations were integral uh, to to understanding your product. Yeah, our, our philosophy has <clears throat> always been about around customer proximity. Like, how do you get closer to the customer? And so, um, in not only email, not only phone. We were one of the first companies, maybe even the first, to do customer service on Twitter. Um, wow. so, so they said, Hey, this is another channel to communicate with people or Facebook or what have you. So, um, that's the orientation is like, Hey, I want to meet you where you live, uh, and serve you accordingly. And, and, uh, all of them are good. Now, what I will say is if you went from email to phone to in-person and we did do in-person cause we went to conferences and stuff too. I find that each medium has its own strengths and weaknesses as kind of like a a research tool, right? So email, you're going to find it about a volume of problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, phone's good for getting some color on those problems. And if you meet people in person, you'll find out what it is that they want that goes beyond whatever you're doing today. Right. And that's, uh, those are harder, like it's harder to, you just don't get that in email. You might get like a feature request, but that's not the same as like, oh, I think you're, you know, your platform should, you know, be doing this other, like just live face to face is just a totally different ball game. And so, so I'm a fan of all those mediums for, you know, appropriate reasons in each case. Yeah, I, that makes sense. Right. I think probably in person, people are more likely to be like, hey, you know what you should do? Like, just like, almost like it's conversational. Um, do you, did you find that people are less likely to complain to you and like not complain, but give, let's say negative feedback in person? Um, you know, probably. Uh, but, but like my whole thing is like, I'm always asking for what's wrong. Right. So let's just take the drama out of that and be like, I know we can, like, I, I'm always, yeah, you know, people say, one of the things I find frustrating and the thing about me is like, you know, now I'll go out, let's, let's say I give a talk somewhere. Okay. Or we get off this podcast and you say, hey, you know, Mike, great job. That'd be wonderful. Let's let's hope we get there. Uh, and I'd say, uh, uh, oh, thank you. Um, 
why was it great, right? Uh, it, like, I, I, you know, because that's when you're live, people will tell you and send down and be like, okay, great. And now I can say, great, you told me something we did well. My next question is, well, I mean, what can we do better? Like, you know, and I do the same thing with this podcast. It's like, okay, that's great. That went well. Thank you for telling me. That. What, what could I have done better? And I, I think that's the, you know, seeking to understand and like constantly improve. Uh, to me, it's a hallmark of, uh, you know, I've heard it of other entrepreneurs as well. I, there's like, there's no, I mean, my, we're not, I'm not precious about this thing. Like, and I find, you know, so long as we can have a civil dialogue and you're not like yelling, <laughs> right. Then like, I think we can both learn a lot. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that is, that's great to hear. Right. Cause especially as, as a creator, you get kind of attached to the thing that you build. Uh, and if you want it to be the best version of what it is, you, you, you have to let go of that. Right. You said, I'm not precious about this. I really like is that what you said? Precious? Like, yeah, I really like that because uh, it, it shows, you know, it's, you know, it's a tool that people use and you want it to be the best tool possible. We talk about that a lot with even like our design team here is like, and a lot of designers will come from elsewhere and they'll be like, well, this is how it's done. It's perfect. And, and we have a thing like called critique, right? Which is like, you know, you cannot be precious in that room. And the idea is, hey, nobody's trying to like, you can internalize, you know, feedback on work you've done as an attack, or as, you know, input to help you get to a, the next level and next better place. And, uh, you know, I'd much rather work with people who, you know, are oriented in the, the, the second way. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you're not going to grow unless you, unless you learn how you can do things better. And if you just think you make the best thing right out the gate, you know, how, where, where are you going to go from there? So cool. I, I love that. Um, so uh, let's talk about as we kind of wind down time here, it looks like we're getting close to uh, the half hour mark. Um, I've, I've personally seen fresh books evolve over the last 10 or so years. Uh, so maybe we could talk about what are some of the big evolutions that you really liked in the product and what are your plans for the future? Okay. So, you know, I think we've had a, a, a pretty consistent track record of, uh, of improvement. And, and sometimes I'll say the improvements are not as visible, but they are impactful, right? Because you get a lot of people using your software, sometimes like a little workflow we can tune it improves things. So, um, you know, I, I, my favorite days are when we're launching stuff like that's, that's just my favorite, favorite stuff. Uh, favorite days in the office. And so, I, I mean, I think the big one for me would be, hey, we've gone and built a new platform. Uh, we we decided after all those years, I don't know if you know this, uh, we have a new uh, version of new FreshBooks. And um, seeing the rate at which that is changing and improving is very exciting to me. So we're now benefiting from, you know, the first version was built on frameworks that we built, you know, at a time before standards for building companies like ours existed. And now we're, you know, we're using Ember and a bunch of other, you know, just more modern technologies so we can move a lot quicker and deliver better experiences. And that's, that's been my experience where, you know, we not only doing invoicing at this point, we now have, uh, uh, for those who don't know, and, you know, sometimes we've had people say, oh, you know, you don't do double ledger or bank rec, so you can't use you for accounting. We scale beyond you. And we say is, listen, you don't need to know that stuff even exists in our software today. You don't need to. But guess what? It's there. And if you grow to the point where you actually care about that, it's right there for you as opposed to imposing it on you. So I'm excited about that, too, because we've had a lot of customers over the years who are great customers who, for one reason or another, decided they, they needed to, to sort of move on to the next thing. So that's a big that's a big thing that's happened now. And I think what we want to do once we have that, that bedrock, like, hey, we serve companies that invoice 
You know, um, we, we now, by the way, this is a positive development for you as you get into more product stuff. We can help you um, uh, track other, other payments and sources of income beyond just invoices. So that's good. Um, we're really focused on solving billing problems in, in general, especially for businesses that send invoices. And, uh, and we have this accounting bedrock that you can build on and grow. And so I think the question is, hey, now that that accounting bedrock's there, you know, how do we really help you focus some more of your, your, your billing issues? That'll be the direction of our, our efforts. That's really cool. And that, I mean, that's something that um, if, you know, especially if like freelancers or, or entrepreneurs or, or maybe solo entrepreneurs um, are your target audience, that's something that a lot of people have problems with is maybe they, they don't think to bill on time or they're a little tepid about sending that reminder like, hey, you haven't paid, you know, it's been 40 days and you haven't paid the invoice. Um, and so focusing on maybe and maybe I've misinterpreted what you said, but like focusing on billing problems, I think really, really help your customer. Uh, absolutely. And I, I just want everyone to know, like what you just talked about is our bread and butter and that's mm-hmm. that's there and available today. So, yeah. So if you use our product, you send an invoice, you can set things up in an automated way where, you know, 15 days later or 30 days later, we will take care of, you know, with a simple email saying, hey, you know, this email is is now 15 days you know since sent will you please you know we can even help you collect payments so so there's a lot we do there and we just we see we just see there's a whole bunch of ways to make your life even better um you know in and around issues pertaining to billing and we're excited about that yeah that's fantastic and just to bring it back uh that competitor that I'm now I'm on now does not do any of that you know I like looked for like the automatic late fees or like the the late payment reminders and they're like, you can do that through a third party. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Like, I don't understand why I would have to pay extra for basic invoicing things. But in any case, uh, I'll, I'll be happy when the calendar turns and I'm back on fresh books. I'm not just saying that because you are on the show. I literally said this to my wife, like uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm just like, I can't wait. So, um, this is, this has been great. And, uh, I think there's a lot of really good insight that folks can take away, especially moving from client services to, uh, to products. I mean, we focus a lot there, but um, just also the customer empathy things that I think people need to hear more of. But I do need to ask you my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Mm-hmm. Trade secrets. Uh, um, here's the thing. I, I think the way we do customer service. So one thing I was thinking is, oh, when you're coming back, don't feel, I mean, don't be shy about phoning us. I don't know if you ever have or emailing us if that's your preferred medium. Uh, we are, we're here to help. And we even have some services where we can help you with your bookkeeping and move some some data from one to the next. So you don't necessarily have to take care of that if that's interesting to you. So just FYI. That is interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but then the trade secrets, I think, you know, I think the thing about FreshBooks that's sort of uncanny and unparalleled, we're, we really are like, we, we really care about executing extraordinary experiences every day. That's what we call it. That's our mantra. So we want to build simple user experiences that exceed people's expectations. And, you know, we love helping people, you know, on the phone with a level of customer service that, frankly, most companies aspire to and talk about, but, you know, really don't execute against. Um, I, I think that that is our, you know, I don't know if like, but, but I, what I've come to realize is that's a culture thing and, and you don't, you don't necessarily get it right. Like you just, you just don't. And so, um, yeah, so that's our, I don't know if that's our, our trade secret. I, I think our trade secret is that people really appreciate, uh, you know, I, well, or, or the customer service just really matters and, and it's hard to do repeatedly over time at scale. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that is great. I, and especially it's a culture thing because it does start um, within the company and, and making sure that uh, the employees and the founders and everybody are on the same page about how they feel about a certain thing. And, and when they feel that, they execute on it better. And so if, it, if customer service is the most important thing um, within the company and the company culture, then you will have good customer service. Mike, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, gr- great being here. If you uh, yeah, uh, want to learn a little more about us or, or try FreshBooks for free, uh, you can do that at FreshBooks.com. Thanks so much again to Mike for joining us. Uh, I want to repeat his trade secret, which is the way they do customer service. Uh, don't be shy about phoning them. Uh, they are... They put a premium on good customer service. And between the conversation with Natalie last week and some books I've been reading, I think that this is incredibly key at uh, building your own business, especially for uh, smaller businesses or or freelancers. Uh, Offering that close customer service is the thing that separates you and differentiates you from the larger companies or the airlines of the world, right? Who, for the most part, make it seem like they don't really care about their customers. So I want to repeat that and double down on it. And uh, to that end, my question of the week for you is going to be similar to last week, which is um, what can you do to improve your customer service? Or what do you want to do to improve your customer service? Do you want to implement like a ticketing system or do you want to offer phone support? I know that is... Uh, something that I don't necessarily want to do, but if my customers ask for it, I, I would do it. Um, it. Me just being me, email is, is better. I don't have a support, but uh, wh- what are you going to do to improve customer support? So let me know via email at joe at howibuilt.it or on Twitter at jcasabona. I want to thank my sponsors once again. They are Plesk, Castos, and Pantheon. You can find the show notes for this episode over at howibuilt.it slash 110. If you liked this episode, be sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. And until next time, get out there and build something.